Well, here's what we're studying right now during the month of January, and I keep giving you little hints about what's coming up in February, but I'm, I'm really excited uh, about the plan for the rest of the year starting in February. And uh, sometime soon I'll be unveiling that. But um, during the month of January, we're studying basically Jesus' favorites. And what I mean by that is the, the, the three people that he really kind of took to his side and spent more time with them than any other uh, people. Even among, if you say, well, he had 12 disciples or 12 apostles, and we'll talk about that in a moment. Even among those 12, and that was certainly a select group, then from that 12, he had three that he really invested in and spent time with. And they got to see things that the other nine never witnessed. They got to experience things that the other nine never saw and experienced. And, and so I, I think it's significant because they were significant in the life and ministry of Jesus. It is significant for us to study them, find out something about each one of them. So last Sunday we started the study. Last Sunday we started looking at the Apostle John. <clears throat> Tonight we're going to be looking at his brother, his older brother, James. Before we get into James, though, I, I, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about just the, the, the apostles themselves as a group. And the reason I didn't do this last Sunday is because we had plenty to talk about with John. And for James, it's going to be interesting, you'll see in a moment that for James, we don't know a whole lot about James. And so this gives me a good opportunity to kind of talk about all the apostles and then bring it down to narrow it down, the, narrow the field to talk about James. But if you were going to recruit a team to alter the course of history, what kind of people would you want on your team? You don't have to answer that right now, but I mean, if, if you were really going to recruit a team to alter the course of history, what kind of people would you be looking for? My guess is we would have walked right past James and John and Peter and the rest of them, perhaps. You see, the most amazing thing about the 12 apostles is, is that they were remarkably ordinary. Do you ever feel ordinary? Come on, talk back to me a little bit. Do you ever feel ordinary? I hope you do. I hope you don't, you don't feel like you're something special, God's gift to the world. He's not going to be able to use you a whole lot if, if, you, if you walk around strutting like that. But, but when he chose 12 to change the world, he chose some very ordinary people. And how, how do I know that? Well, again, I always want to point you to Scripture, so I want you to go with me to Acts chapter 4, verse 13. If you're taking notes, we're going to look at a lot of Scripture. I hope that you can write it down and keep up with us. Acts chapter 4. Verse 13, Acts chapter 4, verse 13. Now, now this is the story of Peter and John, and, and they're, they're on trial before the Sanhedrin, or the Sanhedrin, some would pronounce it. Uh, but in verse 13, it says, When they, that is the Sanhedrin, when, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were what? And then they took note of something. They took note that, tell me. 
These were unschooled, ordinary. They, they were shocked when they realized, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. These, these are the, the people you've been telling me about? These are the followers? These are the, the disciples? They were shocked at Peter and John because they were so unschooled and so ordinary. So regular. They, they were nobodies. Then they, then they took note that they had been with Jesus. Now, with that in mind, realizing that that probably is true not only of Peter and John, that probably is true of all 12 apostles, more than likely. I want to talk to you very briefly for a moment also about the training that these 12 ordinary unschooled men received as they spent time with Jesus. To really get an appreciation for the brevity of their earthly time with Jesus, you need to, you need to consider the fact that Jesus' entire earthly ministry lasted how long? Talk to me. Three years. If you went to college and you got any kind of a, a like a bachelor's degree, how many years were you in college? Yeah. So I want to try to get that perspective. Jesus' entire earthly ministry lasted less than the time you were at Clemson. Or the time that you were at South Carolina or Furman or uh, Tri-County or wherever you went to school. I mean, that's short, isn't it? I, I don't know if you, if you had the privilege to go to college, but I can tell you this. You, you start your freshman year and before you know it, you, you wake up one day and it's senior year. So his entire earthly ministry lasted less, a year less, than you were at Clemson or South Carolina or wherever you went. Now, with that in mind... His training of the twelve was even briefer. Is that a word? Briefer? Shorter. I know that's a word. <laughs> I like that word. His entire time of training the twelve was even shorter than that three-year period. I, sometimes you just got to sit and reflect on things like that to be fascinated by it. He's chosen 12 men to change the world. And he invested less than three years in them. Wow. I don't know if that sinks in the way it should. But you see, the important thing is not the length of training. The important thing is the teacher who's doing the training. Now, in that time when he was training these these disciples, when you start reading your Bible, if you're not careful, you'll get a little bit confused about, well, were they disciples or were they apostles? And that goes into their training. That, that's really a part of their training. Here's what I want you to see. Uh, this this three-year period of his entire earthly ministry, then he, you, you shorten that. Watch my hands. You shorten that, and that's the training of the disciples. He starts having disciples follow him, and he's training them. And then you shorten that, and that's the training of the apostles. Twelve would change the world. But let me show you what I'm talking about. Let's, let's just take for a moment and go to Scripture. Uh, Luke chapter 6. <clears throat> Luke chapter 6. 
Now, once you find Luke 6, go over to the left and find Luke chapter 4. I know that was hard, right? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> the reason I want you to start in Luke chapter 4, I just want you to read the headlines with me. In Luke chapter 4, uh, the, the headline there uh, says what? Temptation of Jesus. So Jesus is basically beginning his earthly ministry. And, and then if you continue to read the headlines, just scanning Luke chapter 4, at least in my Bible it says, beginning in verse 14, Jesus rejected at Nazareth. And then in verse 31, the headline is, Jesus drives out an evil spirit. And then verse 38, Jesus heals many. Have you heard anything about disciples yet? No. See, when he started his ministry, it was just him. And he's doing these things. And then we get to chapter 5. And what's the headline of chapter 5? Calling of his first, his first what? Disciples. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret with, his, with people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, I love that, by the way, they, they were not listening to Jesus, they were listening to the word of God because whenever Jesus spoke, God spoke. They were listening to the word of God and he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And, and we'll probably dig into this next week because we're, next week we're going to be talking about uh, Simon. But uh, just notice beginning in verse um, 8. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. Uh, for he and his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were, who's that next person? James, James, so were James and John, and, and note this, we'll come back to it in a few minutes, they're referred to as the sons of Zebedee, that is significant, just remember that, and Simon's partners, Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid from now on, you'll catch men, so they pulled their boats up on the shore and left everything and followed him. So now Jesus has what the Bible refers to as disciples, followers, learners, is really what the word means. They're following their rabbi. They're following their teacher. They're learners. They're learning the ways of God. All right, let's continue through Luke for just a moment. When we get to... Uh, the next headline, it says, The man with leprosy, beginning in verse 12, verse 17, that headline is, Jesus heals a paralytic. Uh, verse 27, the calling of Levi. Levi is also called, by what name? Matthew. And, and so, here's another disciple being called. So, one by one, he's calling the disciples. Uh, the next headline, verse 33, Jesus questioned, questioned about fasting. And then we come to chapter 6. The headline in chapter 6 is what? The first headline. He's Lord of the Sabbath. He, he gets into, into this debate and he has disciples with him. It says in verse 1, One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields and, don't miss this phrase, his disciples. Now that's not just referring to the ones that he called. Because it said earlier that many people followed him. 
The crowds were following him. His, a disciple was anybody who followed him and wanted to learn from him. And so his disciples began to pick some heads of grain, rub them in their hands and eat the kernels. And, and, and then there's this debate about what's lawful to do on the Sabbath. Then, this is where, where we're building. We come to the next headline. Chapter 6, beginning in verse 12. What's the headline there? Twelve apostles. Now we have a new term. Now, now we have a new term, but it's not a new group of people. Now we have a new term, and let's read about it. One of those days, verse 12, one of those days Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray, and he spent the night praying to God. Don't, don't read past that. Have you ever spent an entire night praying to God? I'll have to confess I haven't. I've spent some time in extended prayer. I, I have, you know, I fasted and prayed, but I can't remember. I, I've spent sleepless nights when I got on my knees in the dark in the living room and everybody's asleep and I prayed to God. But I don't know that I've ever prayed an entire night to God that Jesus did. The question is this, what was he praying about? Well, I'll come back to that question. Let's read and see if we can kind of get an idea. When morning came, he called his disciples to him. This whole group of learners that have been following him, including the recent learners he's enlisted. Peter and James and John and Matthew. Morning came, he called his disciples to him, and he chose. In other words, not everybody became one of the twelve. He chose out of this large group of people that were following him, this large group of learners, he chose... How many? Twelve. Watch this. Verse 13. When morning came, he called his disciples to him, and he chose twelve of them whom he designated, don't miss that word, whom he also designated apostles. And they're listed. Simon, whom he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, and the list goes on. Now, the word... Disciple, remember, means learner, follower, learner. The word apostle means sent out. Jesus chose 12, watch this, that he would designate as his apostles and then delegate his authority to them and send them out. I want to say that one more time because I'll make sure this is real clear because when we come to James in a few moments, you're going to say, wow, that's, that's amazing. But Jesus chose 12 out of these, this group of disciples. He chose 12 and he designated them apostles, the sent out ones, and then he delegated to them his power and sent them out. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Um, Let's see. Look in chapter chapter nine. Luke chapter nine. When Jesus had called the twelve together, watch this. He gave them power and authority. 
power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out. You ought to underline that. He sent them out. That's what an apostle is. That's what an apostle does. An apostle was sent out. It literally means that. He sent them out. And he sent them out to do what? Say it again, Billy. Yes, he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. But, but understand, he didn't send them out in their own power. He sent them out with his power. He sent them out with his, with his authority. He sent them out in his name to represent him. Now, this was just the first time he sent them out. Luke chapter 9. Eventually, after his death, burial, and resurrection, well, well, before that, he would send them out again in another group. And then after his death, burial, and resurrection, in Acts, 8, or chapter, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he would send them out to take the gospel to the nations. The twelve were sent out ones to take the gospel to the nations. But here, he's kind of he's letting them get their feet wet. Designating them as apostles. Delegating to them his authority over, over all evil and, 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 and giving them power they did not have. And then sending them out to teach and preach the kingdom of God. Now one other scripture before we get to James. Go with me to Mark chapter 3 verse 14. Mark chapter 3. Verse 14. Here's something I want. Well, I'll tell you what. Let's, let's start in verse 13. Jesus went up on a mountainside and he called to them. Or Let me try again. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted and they came to him. And he appointed twelve Designating, there's that word again, designating them apostles that they might be, watch this, that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. That they might be with him. Don't miss that. He said, before I send you out, you must first of all come in. Before I... Before he sent them out, he pulled them in. So that he could prepare them for what was ahead. Now, remember I told you when we were looking at Luke just a moment ago, Luke chapter 6, it says that Jesus went up to the mountaintop and he was praying. And, it, and I asked the question at that time, what do you suppose he was praying for? Well, there's, there's a couple of options, and, and they're both good ones, but I'll tell you which one I, I, I think is, is probably true. But one option is that he was praying about who he would choose out of that large group of people. If you're, if you're going to choose 12 people and designate them and delegate them and empower them to represent you, if you're going to choose 12 out of all of those people, to change the world, then, then maybe he spent all night praying about, God, who, who do I choose? I mean, that, that would be something to pray about all night long, wouldn't it? Or, 
because he was God in flesh, did he already know who he was going to choose? And he spent all night long praying for those 12 because he knew what they faced. He knew that the enemy is real. He knew that after he left, they would be on their own. He knew that he was giving them an impossible task, humanly speaking. He knew that they couldn't change the world. Not on their own. Could it be that he spent all night praying? Not, God, who do I choose? But could it be that he spent all night praying? God, you know Peter. God, you know James. You know John. You know Philip. You know Andrew. God, help these people as they face the enemy. As they preach the gospel. I think that's what he was praying about. I don't have proof for that. That's just my theory. I think that's what he was praying about. Because he prayed all night, then he called these 12, and then he started pouring into them. For this brief, remember now, three years, less than you've been at Clemson or South Carolina or Furman, wherever you went, three years is earthly ministry. Disciples, a shorter period of time. Apostles, an even shorter period of time. So it says in Mark that he chose them to be with him. Okay, now we're ready to talk about James. You say, well, my goodness, time's gone. Uh, we don't have a whole lot to talk about when you come to James. It's interesting. Uh, James, <laughs> James is, is an interesting character to study because he's well known in the sense that he was one of the three He's well known in the sense that he was one of those three chosen by Jesus. And yet, of those three prominent apostles, he's the least familiar of us, or to us. In fact, there's only one place where James is mentioned in the New Testament by his own, by, by himself. We'll tell you what that is in a moment. But most of the times when, when you're reading the Gospels and you're reading about James, you're reading Acts or, or, or uh, yeah, even in Acts, when you read about James, most of the time when you read about James, it's James and John, or James and Peter. It, it's rarely anything about just James. So, let's just highlight some things as we work through for the next 10, 15 minutes. Try to understand James. Uh, I'm calling him uh, the apostle of misguided zeal, uh, John MacArthur called him that as well. I borrowed that title from him, the Apostle of Misguided Zeal. His nickname, remember I told you last week that Jesus had those three and he nicknamed them all and the fact that he gave them nicknames signified that he had a close relationship with them. You don't nickname people you don't know very well. He had a close relationship with them. It also indicated that he had a special purpose for them. It also indicated something about who they were. Now, James and John are linked together. James and John were brothers. James was the oldest. And they were called together. What was their nickname? Sons of Thunder. And so we talked about this uh, last week. That's another reason we don't have a whole lot to talk about because when you talk about John, you talk about James. When you talk about James, you talk about John. Uh, but they're called Sons of Thunder. But there's something else that, that I... Well, before I get to that... 
Sons of thunder means what? What does that indicate? Huh? I can't hear you. Yeah. Absolutely. More than likely, I'm just going to say it the way it is, more than likely, James and John were hotheads to some degree. More than likely, they, they had a lot of zeal. More than likely, they, they were not, watch this, they were not the kind of guys that just kind of sat there. If you went to a Clemson football game with James, you'd know he was in the stadium. Or John. Because they're sons of thunder. They're not sons of clouds. They're sons of thunder. I mean, have you ever been around somebody that's loud? Sometimes I wonder, do you not know how loud you are? And if you fly on the plane, I don't know why, there is always somebody on the plane where everybody on the rest of the plane gets to hear their conversation. Right? You've experienced that, haven't you? That's James. He's not son of a cloud. He's sons of thunder. Probably had a temper. But something else about James that, that I discovered as I was studying this. He's also called son Zebedee. You say, well, that's not very significant. That's just talking about his daddy. Yeah, I know that. But when you start doing the research, and I don't have all the scriptures written down for you, I'll just show you three of them. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot of them, but I'll just show you three places where we see this in scripture. Uh, look in Matthew chapter 20, verse 20. Matthew chapter 20, verse 20. We'll come to, back to this one, I think, if we have time in a moment. It says, then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus. Would you note that, how they are described? Zebedee's sons. Mark chapter 10, verse 35. Mark chapter 10, verse 35. We will read this in a minute, but it says, Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Why does it not just say, Then James and John came to him? Why, why does it say, The sons of Zebedee, James and John, sons of Zebedee, came to him? Why do we keep getting this reference that both James and John are the sons of Zebedee? Let's show you another, Luke chapter 5, uh, verse 10. Luke chapter 5. Verse 10. Luke chapter 5, verse 10. We read that Simon Peter, you know, encounter with Jesus, the calling of the first disciples, and so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon Peter's partners. Why didn't it just say James and John, Simon Peter's partners? Why did the writer mention, oh yeah, he was Zebedee's son. And that's just a, a small, that's just three references. There's a lot of references throughout the, the Gospels where again and again and again and again and again and again they're listed that way as Zebedee's sons. And here's what we think that means. 
Zebedee was a prominent man. Zebedee was probably a wealthy man. Zebedee was somebody that everybody knew. And that's why he, he's continually listed, or they are continually listed as Zebedee's sons. Now they lived probably in Capernaum. Uh, it's right on the Sea of Galilee. Uh, and it, it, I'm not trying to do a commercial, but if you go with me to Israel, you'll go to Capernaum. You'll go to that place where, where they where they lived, and, and they, they probably had a nice piece of property there. They probably had a nice house. It, it really is believed that Zebedee was, was a very prominent man, and, and his was a prominent family around the Sea of Galilee. It also is believed that Zebedee not only was prominent around the Sea of Galilee, but even all the way down to Jerusalem. Because when... When Jesus was on trial that night, there's an interesting little phrase or little statement made that, that Peter was outside. He wasn't allowed into the, into the courtyard. And do you know who got him into the courtyard? John. John. He was connected. The Bible seems to indicate there that he was connected with the high priest. He had connections. John did. Why did John have connections? Because his daddy was Zebedee. It's believed that either his father had a lot of influence with the high priest because he's a wealthy, prominent person, or his father may even have been related to the high priest. And it may have been that, that, that Zebedee and the high priest were like cousins or distant cousins, and John had enough influence to say, hey, hey, let him in, let him in. He's okay, I know him. Now, I, I take the time to tell you all of that to, to say this. When you're choosing 12 to change the world, who are you going to choose? I'm not saying you choose James because he's prominent. I'm not saying you choose John because he's prominent or from a prominent family. I'm just saying it's interesting who Jesus chose. He chose James. And he chose John. And I want you to see what they did. Look in Mark. Um, let me get the reference here. Oh, no, Matthew. Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19. Hey, everybody look up here before you dig in. I don't want to spoil the surprise. And I'm not trying to not trying to be critical. I'm trying to make an observation. I'm trying to be careful how I say this. But sometimes prominent people think they're, they're kind of owed something. You know what I mean? Because I have money, because I have position, because I have influence, because my family is well known. You know, I... Y'all to cut me a favor, you know? They're, they're kind of used to that. They're kind of used to getting their way. They're, they're kind of used to, you know, they were, they were born on third base with a silver spoon in their mouth, you know? So with that context, chapter, Matthew chapter 19, verse 25. 
Jesus is teaching or, or speaking to a guy who's called the rich young man. And they're having this conversation about how he can go to heaven. And, and the rich man, young man eventually walks away because he, he loves his riches more than he loves Jesus. His, his real treasure was on earth, not in heaven. And it says, verse 22, when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And when his disciples heard this, they were greatly what? Astonished. And they asked, who then can be saved? Because wealth was seen as God's favor. And, and if you had God's favor and you had money, then surely you could be saved. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. You got it all turned around. Verse 26, Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. And Peter answered him, I love Peter. In fact, that's the reason I'm not sure if we're going to go one or two weeks with Peter next week. There's so much stuff here with Peter. Peter answered him, We have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? And Jesus said to him, I tell you the truth. Now watch, read this carefully. I tell you the truth. At the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on how many thrones? Twelve thrones. And how many apostles were there? Twelve. Twelve apostles. You who have followed me will sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses and brothers and sisters and father and mother and children and fields for my sake for a hundred times much and will inherit eternal life. I really believe when James and John heard that, they didn't hear the rest of what Jesus said about, you know, if you've left your houses and brothers and fathers and mothers. and uh, You know what they heard? Twelve thrones. Twelve Because go to chapter 20. Chapter 20, verse 20. It says, Then the mother of Zebedee's sons, there's that phrase, that prominent family, that prominent man. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons, kneeling down, ask him a favor of him. What is it you want? He asked. She said, Grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit on your right and the other on your left. In your kingdom. Translation. You know a few, a few days ago when you're talking about 12 thrones? Come on. Come on. Come here. Cut us a favor here. James, John, they're Zebedee's boys. Let one of them sit on your right. One of them sit on your left. You need to be careful what you ask for. Jesus, watch what happens. Oh, by the way, I, I think it's kind of fascinating, almost embarrassing. They got their mama to ask for him. Right? All right, verse 22. Jesus said, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup? I'm going to drink. We can, they answered. Shortest translation, with great confidence, they answered it. We can, absolutely. One can sit on your right, one can sit on your left. We're good for it, we can. 
In verse 23, Jesus said, You will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit on my right or at my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those to whom, the, to whom they have been prepared by my Father. Jesus said, You will indeed drink from my cup. He was talking about his death. Cup refers to his death. Can you drink of the cup I'm going to drink of? Can you, I, I'm going to be killed. I'm going to be executed. Can, can you drink from that kind of cup? You're thinking about prominence and power and prestige. You're thinking about my right hand and my left hand. You're thinking about favor and honor and all of that kind. Of, can you drink of the cup I'm going to drink of? I'm going to be executed. Can you drink of that cup? When they said we can, they were thinking power and prestige. They were not thinking execution. And so we close by going to Acts chapter 12. This is the one place I told you earlier. There's only one place in Scripture where James is mentioned by himself. This is the one place in Scripture where James is mentioned by himself. Acts chapter 12. It's about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church intending to persecute them. Let me tell you about which Herod this is. This is not Herod Antipas who killed John the Baptist. It's not uh, Herod Antipas who arrested Jesus and tried him. Uh, this is his nephew, Herod Agrippa I. And, and it says that he arrested some who belonged to the church. This was after the church was born, after Pentecost, and the church was growing. And he arrested some of the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. He had James, the brother. Actually, he's, he's mentioned with John there, isn't he? I said it's the only place where he's mentioned by himself, but I just noticed he's still mentioned with John. But he had James put to death with the sword. James became the first of the twelve to be martyred for his faith. Notice I said the first of the twelve. It is believed that all of the, the, all of the apostles, not the disciples as a large group, but it is believed that all the apostles were martyred for their faith, except one, John. And John was exiled on the Isle of Patmos, and suffered a long, agonizing death on the Isle of Patmos. Long, ag agonizing time. So isn't it interesting that when Jesus said, Can you drink of the cup I'm going to drink of? And, and these two, John or James and John, said, We can. James was the first one to be executed for his faith. John was the last one to live, but he lived exiled, suffering on this island. But he did, of course, received the revelation uh, from God that we call the book of Revelation. All right. Um, let me just close with this. We're out of time. I asked this question earlier. If you were choosing 12 to change the world, who would you choose? The sons of thunder? I don't think so. Unless, unless you're God.
And you can change anybody. Because James, the first martyr of, of, of the twelve, remember he was also, him, him and his brother were the ones who said, Lord, do you want us to call fire down on these Samaritans to just wipe out this village? Because, you know, we're connected. We, we, we got power and position. And do you want us to, as if he could do anything? When you really look at the 12 that Jesus, that he designated as apostles and then delegated power to them to go out in his name, it's amazing to see the life they began or how they began following Jesus and then the life that they lived after they spent time with him. He really did change those 12 so that they could change do it in your life too. He can change you and use you to change the world. Lord willing, we'll look at Peter starting next week. If there's anybody that was a hopeless case, it was Peter. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the power of the gospel to change any heart, to change any life, to change us so radically that you can use us to change the world. God, we praise you for that in Jesus' name.